Deezer Originals. This is Defending in Numbers. Okay, then, Defending in Numbers, friends, let's do a podcast. Because after all, this is the podcast where we walk down the corridor of uncertainty, pretending to know a little bit more about football than we actually do. My name is Rob Armstrong, a clueless idiot by all accounts, but thank God I'm joined by two people who can teach me some more about football. First up, we have James Benj, back again on the ones and twos. Yeah, can't get rid of me, I, um, evidently. Tried your hardest, but I'm still here. I would never try and get rid of I want you in all aspects of my life. Um, we'll talk about ne- that later. Never leave take, this room. We'll take that one offline. <laughs> and back in his favourite corner, it's hot take Jake the Snake Entwistle. Jake, how are you? Yeah, good. It is my favourite corner as well. I think I've had most success in the, uh, this side of the room. So glad to be back in this exact space. In his lucky corner. And of course, Jake sits there when this podcast isn't recording. He just sits on Deezer and he listens to the other podcasts on there, which of course is where you can find this podcast, as well as iTunes and all the other places you can find podcasts. Rate, review, subscribe, do everything you can to give Jake more money for a better phone and better headphones so he can listen to himself in higher quality. My headphones are actually broken, so... Exactly. So if that wasn't a plea for a rate, review and subscribe, I don't know what is. But anyway, let's get on with Week by Numbers. The Week by Numbers. First up, we're going to start with a big, fat 43%, which was Cristiano Ronaldo's share of the FIFA's Best Player Award vote for 2017. Such a catchy title, FIFA's Best Player, Best Men's Best Player, Best Man Award. Uh, So last year he won La Liga, the Champions League. He won those two cups at the beginning of the year that you win if you win other cups. Can't remember what they're called. The UEFA Super Cup and the Spanish Super Cup. El Super (laughs) Cup. (laughs) And of course, basically had what I feel was maybe the best season of his career because he seemed to come into form at the right time, which he hasn't always done. He's always got that uh, reputation throughout his career of being a flat track bully, Penaldo, Tapping Aldo, Topless Aldo, whatever. All the Aldos. All the Aldos, but never gets the sort of credit for being good when it counts. But maybe that's because last year was one of the first times, maybe in a few seasons, that we've seen him really pull it out of the bag, as opposed to uh, previous years where maybe we've seen Champions League finals when he scores the crucial fourth penalty or whatever. That Last year, that run in the Champions League, building up to the final, that really, to me, stood out as one of the better years he's had. And obviously he's got the best player award because of it. So it works. It's obviously done well. But I think you're right. That that back-to-back hat-trick is the first time anyone's ever done it in the knockout stages of the Champions League. So in terms of making a difference on the biggest stage in the biggest moment, then he deserves to win it. But there's the, always the question that, oh, Lionel Messi is the better footballer. And you could probably argue that in terms of individual talent, Lionel Messi is better. But um, for Cristiano Ronaldo, you'd say that he proves time and time again, especially, as you said, last season where he's picked up these, these four trophies, that on the biggest stage, he's one of the best players. And in terms of his goal scoring, he scored 44 goals in 48 games. Uh, in 2017 for club and country. 15 of those came in the UEFA World Cup qualifying uh, section, the European obviously for the FIFA World Cup. Um, And he was directly involved in more goals than any other player in, in that qualifying phase. When you say that though, the argument comes in, they're all against Andorran farmers and etc but whichever way you look at Cristiano Ronaldo's career whether you're using pure numbers he's always up there for goals or if you're looking at those clutch moments where yeah there were some lucky calls but back-to-back hat-tricks to get your side into the final and win 
and win back-to-back Champions League trophies for the first time in the Champions League era. Whichever way you look at it, you've got to say Ronaldo's year was, in terms of achievement and personal achievement, was was one of the best. There's no, there, I mean, there's no arguing that it was absolutely phenomenal. And, you know, it, the, these years almost become more impressive as he gets older and we keep thinking, you know, that declines around the corner. He's 32, 33 now. Um, but, I mean, I think for me, 2016 always felt like the Ronaldo year. Um, it kind of typified him in so many brilliant ways, the way that Portugal won the Euros and... You know, there was that thing of like, just like Ronaldo, it's kind of being done through sheer willpower. I mean, I I agree with what Jake was saying that on a technical level, you know, on most levels, Lionel Messi's a better footballer. And I mean, I'm not doubting his, um, Messi's mental strength, but Ronaldo, I think is, as an athlete, I don't think there are many that compare to him purely in terms of that remorseless will to win. And I think that's why he scores those hat tricks on the, on the biggest stage, why he always gets the, the crucial goals because I mean let's just just remember like you know when he came to Manchester United uh, 15 years ago now he was basically just a show pony like you know I don't think anyone ever saw this coming you know players like the original Ronaldo Messi you know they're great straight away generational talents from the off Ronaldo was not like that you know scrawny as well he was tiny and his spaghetti hair oh that hair was dreadful that hair's why Messi will always be a great player and Messi's had some bad hair yeah I was going to say Messi's hair wasn't fantastic either he was the one who st- Ronaldo's the one who started that trend in Sunday League like unforgivable trend of having uh, masking tape over earrings do even you if you didn't have your ears pierced you just yeah. caught people wearing it because it made them do step overs better with a little yeah droopy, droopy fringe and, and masking tape on the hair but as you were saying James <laughs> he's just so he's he's the one who's worked his way up to the top and this that last couple of years the way they sort of Portugal kind of sums it up it was a tournament of attrition, wasn't it? And it was fronted by Ronaldo. And then I guess La Liga has been difficult for Real Madrid in the last few years. It's very much the league's been dominated by Barcelona over the year that Atletico won it. And then winning that second Champions League trophy in a row, first time in the Champions League era, it's, I think they made you know quite a big thing out of it. Obviously, it's been done before in the European Cup mm. in general, but not been done for a long, long time. How big of a influence do you think that had on getting the votes from the other players at this award? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think, I, th- I think you know, in a non-international tournament year, if you don't win the Champions League, you basically don't have a chance of winning this award. Because I, I think if um, Juventus had won the Champions League, I actually think Buffon, even though he's actually not quite as good as he was a few years ago, Buffon would have won this award. It's basically um, Champions League MVP by another name. Yeah, and 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 a good point on that is I was saying about scoring on the biggest stage like Messi is is far and away the best goal scorer of 2017 club and country he's got 50 goals that's the sixth time he's done that in the last or seventh time he's done that in the last eight seasons Um, so in terms of pure output Messi's always right at the top but four of those goals came in the Champions League and I know Real Madrid went further in the Champions League but they went further because Ronaldo scored those hat-tricks. Ronaldo's got 15 Champions League goals this calendar year, two away from breaking his own record from 2015. That sheer brilliance to perform when it matters most. Again, you get the people saying tap-ins offside, but his movement, his ruthless finishing, every pundit that watched the Champions League this season wax will wax lyrical about Ronaldo's performances in those tournaments and the fact that even when um, Barcelona turned around PSG you could argue like that's one of the reasons Neymar left was the was the belief that it was it was maybe Neymar that was the one that actually pushed them through in that 6-1 he scored the free kick he's he stepped up to take the penalty 
I'm not saying Messi wouldn't have taken it, but Ronaldo carried his team through and, 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 and Messi didn't in the Champions League this season. So again, as James just said, it's Champions League MVP and uh, you're hard pushed to find anyone that's more deserving than Ronaldo in that respect. It always comes down to Messi if you're Ronaldo, yeah. doesn't it? It's like the... Uh, v Harry Kane. Exactly. V Andy Carroll. And then uh, <laughs> it's like with the Argentinian, uh, Argentinian qualification thing the other week when Messi dragged them through in the, in yeah. the last game. It was like, oh, well, you know, he's dragged them there. But they also had a horrendous qualification campaign yeah. with Messi and the team and Ronaldo had just scored 15 in his... And that's what I'm saying. It's it's Messi, that hat-trick was brilliant. They needed that. And, and that is a defining moment of Argentina's campaign and fantastic. But Portugal qualified top without a playoff on goal difference. Ronaldo was directly involved in 18 goals, as I said. No matter who you're against, he's, his contribution ended up being just as important. Like They went through. So... Uh, yeah, Messi's brilliant, Ronaldo's brilliant, but this year, and if you just merge 2016 and 2017 together, ridiculous amount of trophies, ridiculous amount of individual uh, achievements, so it's hard to look past him. Enough of the Ronaldo, Messi, the eternal debate. Let's move on to the eternal debate of Liverpool not being as good as they should be, with the number 137, which is the number of points won at Liverpool by Jurgen Klopp after 78 games, lower than Rafa Benitez, who had had 148. Uh, obviously, Rafa Benitez, Newcastle manager, two places higher than Liverpool in seventh. Uh, Benitez, he won a league title in Spain. Klopp won a league title in Dortmund. Benitez won a Champions League title with Liverpool and took him to a Champions League final. It's Benitez a better manager than Klopp. Is Klopp dining out on that Bundesliga win and the Champions League uh, final the year after, basically because he had a very talented Dortmund squad. Now he's up against it. He doesn't really seem to be able to adapt to the Premier League properly. He hasn't been able to teach people to defend or Dejan Lovren to do anything. Yeah, Rafa Benitez is better by miles. Um, Honestly, honestly, that's not that Jurgen Klopp's a bad manager. I think um, Rafa has his issues... Um, with the boardroom, he, he's a bit of a difficult character to work with. I, I think Amanda Staveley or whoever takes over at Newcastle um, is going to have to uh, be very careful in managing Rafa. But just in terms of a, who would I want managing my team for one game, um, it would be Benitez because he's always got a, a tactical plan in place, not necessarily to make the football a joy on the eye. Um, and Jurgen Klopp, teams are always enjoyable to watch but Benitez is the one who will go out and get you points um, but, but the, the reality is Jurgen Klopp at the moment he's just he's not kind of hitting the bare minimum and I don't really think he should he deserves the sack but that I was, I was at Wembley for the, the game against Tottenham and that's the sort of performance that gets other managers the sack um, you know you can't keep talking about individual errors when errors when they happen every single week and you can't kind of publicly lambast your players in the way he did. He was saying he could have stopped the first goal out there in his trainers. Well, I thought the one thing we all thought about Jurgen Klopp was that he creates a united dressing room and a team that are backing him. Like those man- those players aren't really, I mean, they might not be that good, but they're not really playing like they back Jurgen Klopp. Not playing for him, are they? Mm. Well, in, in terms of individual errors that they're making, they've made the most since he took charge in the Premier League, uh, 47, with 19 directly leading to goals. Um, Arsenal were up there with 44, um, and uh, teams like Swansea are on 45. So to be leading that metric is... is He's been there now for... He's had one full season now, he's had like the, the most of 2015-16, and now he's starting again this year. To be up there for individual errors, that's long enough to realise there's an issue here. I think Seema Minule has made the most in that time as well, 13 of those 47. So 
he saves a lot of penalties, but they're not. He is he is a decent goalkeeper, but you can't have a goalkeeper that's saving four penalties but giving them all away as well. He's he, he's causing problems for himself. And like James said, they're they're a very exciting team. Like since he took over as well, only two teams have created a thousand chances in that time, um, and that's Liverpool up top with a thousand and thirty, and then Spurs on a thousand and fifteen. So there's no no one is denying that Jurgen Klopp makes his side play really good attacking football. Um, and that's evident this season as well. They're, they're, they're scoring goals, but they're just conceding so many. They've conceded the most away from home in the Premier League. 15, which is more three more than Crystal Palace, who are dire. Good quality. Yeah, they're really good. <laughs> they, are, they are woeful. So it's, it's just, it speaks volumes that his first game in charge of Liverpool was a nil-nil draw away to Liverpool. And now his last latest one that he's played was a 4-1 defeat. And it was at Wembley where they're arguably... Spurs can't actually play well so it's just it's it's really hard because Jurgen Klopp I, I believe he is a good manager but there's the same issues are, are rearing themselves for Liverpool when Brendan Rodgers was in charge they had that amazing attack but let themselves down in defence making individual errors so it's not just since Jurgen Klopp took charge Liverpool for a long time now haven't resolved the issues that they needed to and under someone like Rafa Benitez you don't get those individual errors mm. They're, uh, Newcastle, there's five teams that uh, this season have under 10 expected goals against and Newcastle one of them. The rest of them are Man City, Man United, uh, Chelsea and Spurs. So Rafa Benitez is ranking up there with the big teams not conceding chances. Newcastle might not create a lot, but he builds a team that gives his team the best chance to win. Jurgen Klopp, it's almost like a roll of the dice. Mm-hmm. We could turn up and beat Maribor 7-0. But we could also get turned over four one by Spurs. Three transfer windows is now three. Is it three transfer yeah. windows? Is that? Uh, so January in his first one, then the summer, January four four, four. four transfer window, and he still hasn't sort still hasn't sorted out Minilay. I mean, he's got Carius, which is like replacing. Yeah, Carius again. He's third of the third. <laughs> he's not approved it, has he? No. So yeah, I don't. I mean, yeah, you you can look to address these in the transfer window, but. Um, you know, there's all this, obviously we all, go, it all comes back to Virgil van Dijk and he's the only, apparently he's the only centre-back in uh, world football that you can buy with actual money. But like, Liverpool have bought a defender from Southampton. They bought Southampton's best defender a few years ago, Dayan Lovren. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people would have said that was a really excellent piece of business when it happened. Like, he's not a he's not as bad a defender as he's playing. So I'm, I'm not really convinced that if they just bought Virgil van Dijk, everything would be fixed. I mean, they could buy Paolo Maldini in his prime and he'd still be being shielded by like the most immobile midfield. Yeah, their, their, mid, their midfield composition is really bizarre. He's sucked, every, like Henderson at Sunderland was like an attacking midfielder mm. and looked good. He sucked all creativity out of him and now he's, and, and by not really a fault of his own, when he, well, you see it when Henderson plays for England now, he's like, oh, wait, I'm, I can run forward. I remember how to do it now. You see him striding forward and it's like an, a pip, light bulb goes off under his head. He's like, this is what it feels like to venture forward. He's not allowed to do that at Liverpool. Plays as the number six and gets uh, blasted for doing sideways passing. But that's what Jurgen Klopp wants. Same with Emre Chan. Emre Chan, I feel, is a really talented footballer. I, don't, I think he's wasted playing as a centre-back. That's what Brendan Rodgers did with Emre Chan and it really annoyed me. Played him in a centre-back in a back three. Chan is like, he's proven with his overhead kick and his goals that he scored. He's a very technically gifted player. 
he's the sort of player that you'd want like box to box arriving, but they can't get that composition right. They've got a really good front three, but everything else behind just seems muddled and and not with any sort of able to carry out a plan. Well, it's not all bad for Liverpool because on the plus side, at least Everton are doing really badly as well, which takes us on to the next uh, number, 279. If you're listening on Thursday, that is the number of days since Everton last won away. If you're listening on Friday, it's 280. But of course, you subscribe on Deezer or iTunes or anywhere where you get your podcast so you find out on the day. So that's 279, which is today, Thursday. Uh, that's the amount of days Everton last won away from home in the Premier League. They go to Leicester on Saturday, who are also useless. But, of course, Ronald Koeman is gone. Uh, Everton, all the money, all the signings, everyone thought they were going to be you know, pushing for that sort of top six, top seven this year. But now they're in, to be fair, they're in a relegation battle. And I know it's early days, but you can't, you can't think yourself above anyone. We all heard the phrase, too good to go down. Who are they going to get in? And, and what sort of a mess is that team in now with eight attacking midfielders, but not sort of a lot else? That's exactly it. No striker. They sold Romelu Lukaku and just did not replace him. They bought Sandro Ramirez, who had like sort of a, a good season at Malaga, but he was overperforming what was expected of a player in that position. He was scoring a lot of long-range goals. He scored three direct free kicks. That's not like a... Pr- you don't bank on that. Sigurdsson is the, probably the one player where you buy and you say his set pieces are going to be good all the time. But buying a, a, a striker that's 21 years old, to be fair to him, I'm not saying... I expected Ramirez to come in and score 30 goals, but they've not replaced Romelu Lukaku and it's it's meant that they just can't beat any teams. They c- can't seem to even create the chances for a striker. They've got Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who I rate very highly as a as a future talent, but they're asking this 20-year-old to run the channels and, and, and finish like a someone that's been playing in the Premier League for five years. I know Lukaku isn't old himself, but he started playing at 18 and, and, and has got 20 goals a season since pretty much. Um, their top scorers under Ronald Koeman are Ronald, um, Romelu Lukaku, 25, and then the next is Ross Barkley on five, then Wayne Rooney, Kevin Morales and Seamus Coleman on four. And own goals have four as well. So you can't lose 50% of your goals in a season and expect to do the same thing without buying someone to replace them. Linked with Olivier Giroud, but he's not the same. Like, Olivier Giroud, as much as I love him, he's not going to... He wouldn't change that Everton side. I mean, they didn't even do their due diligence on Giroud. I mean, to my knowledge, he's their number. He was their number one target, and they didn't really have a number two. Obviously, they got Sandro, but you know, Giroud was the one they wanted to replace Lukaku, which is odd because Giroud's thirty, thirty-one. But Giroud doesn't want to live in Liverpool. Like he, you know, that's why the move fell apart. It's why he kind of decided to stay on the Arsenal bench. Um, it's interesting you mentioned that. Those words too good to go down because you know this this team kind of reminds me of that West Ham team <sighs> that got relegated on forty two points. Where you look at that squad and you just think, no, there's so many good players there, but there's one position. Like, I think with West Ham, it was in, in defence. It was just like that's actually they're rubbish there though. Yeah. Daly and Shamel. <laughs> and it's like it's exactly that with Everton up front. And I mean, it's a bit of a cliche, but. You know, if you've got, if you want to stay up in the Premier League, you need a goal scorer. You need a uh, Andy Johnson is the one that comes to my head, and I'm pretty certain Palace went down with him. But you know what I mean? Like, if you've got someone that scores you twenty goals a season, you should be okay. Palace would that be? Didn't he finish nearly top scorer? Was he? Nearly? Yeah, he, he, he was he, the top scorer. He right? got uh, no. I don't think he ever got top scorer. I know he got twenty goals. Yeah. It was Kevin Phillips that was the one that won the European Golden it, Shoe yeah. for Sunderland, yeah. getting thirty goals in a season. But. Um, 
yeah, it's 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 really strange. Ronald Koeman as well, I think, dug himself a massive hole. The way he treated Nias, what happened with Ross mm. Barkley selling Lukaku. Like, Ross Barkley, as I said, was the second top scorer. He also has the most assist for Everton in that time. Like, two of their key players have just been completely shunned. And then someone that's worked hard in training and, and was an option up front has that bit of pace that Wayne Rooney can't offer. Uh, just got loaned off to Hull and, and and not played. It was scored a couple the other day, didn't he? Yeah, he, as well. he, well, he came. Uh, I can't remember what who they played. It might have been Bournemouth, where he came off the bench and scored both goals. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he turned around the game like that made Ronald Ronald Koeman look absolutely stupid. Mm. Um, so again, there's this there's this problem with the Dutch managers aren't having a great time at the Premier League, are they? Really, yeah. De Boer didn't do that well. Koeman's now. Just quickly on the replacement, um, I don't I don't know if Sean Dyche listens listens to this, but he shouldn't take the job um, because I think as we're saying, like, all right, James, uh, uh, oh, hi, 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 Sean. Uh, really, <laughs> I forgot his name. <laughs> uh, just think of his voice. Um, and not least because the Leicester job would be perfect for him um, in terms of building a really good counter attacking team with pace, kind of similar to Burnley. Um, but also because, like, you know, whoever they get in, as we say, the problem is still there. They don't have a striker, like. If some, you know, if I were Carlo Ancelotti or Thomas Tuchel or anyone, I'd be going. You're right. I don't really want this job. Yeah, Unsworth, Unsworth can have it until January. Yeah, that's the thing. I think I think Everton would be silly not to put out those offers. Mm. Like Carlo Ancelotti, I think we've spoken about it before. Is is a, is a really good short. He just knows how to win a game. He's a short fix. They could get him in. He could do one of those classic caretaker jobs until the season probably secure their Premier League status find a way to score some goals maybe but you'd want to be building for someone like Tuchel again we've just said Jurgen Klopp was highly rated at Borussia Dortmund has come here and has found it difficult Tuchel again is is a is a fiery character He the reason he left his job was that he was very unhappy with the people above at Borussia Dortmund so if he doesn't get his way at Everton then similar things could occur there but yeah, he did. He did. He did well in Dortmund in his first season, and then finished eighteen points behind Bayern Munich in the second. And arguably, the Bundesliga is not the most competitive. Um, so, it would be really. I'd really like to see him take charge of Everton, and just mainly to just get him in the Premier League and see what happens. Again, they play brilliant attacking football. Uh, his teams, but yeah, it's as James said, it's probably not a job you want to take anytime soon until they can guarantee you some mobility up front yeah. as well. I think that's the main thing. Well, Slavan Bilic will probably take the job, I'm sure. Maybe they should come in with a huge, huge bid. You'd be delighted for Bilic. Yeah. Well, Sullivan's not going to turn down any bid, is he? <laughs> All right, number 24, which is enough pounds to take anything off of David Sullivan. Uh, number 24, the number of different teams Mauricio Pochettino has faced in the Premier League as Spurs manager. And he's beaten... All of them now. Uh, Liverpool were the last one. Uh, obviously beat them 4-1 this weekend. Absolutely smashed them. And it's a sort of familiar subject for us, but is he the best manager in the Premier League now? Because uh, it, it seems to me that Man United versus Spurs is very much a, a battle that you would think back on at the end of the season as, yeah, this was one of the ones that might have decided where the title race was going. Because... Really, it looks like those two and and uh, Man City are leaps and bounds above everyone else. I know, you know, you got Chelsea, but they've been a bit hot and cold. Yeah, Arsenal um, have also been typically hot and cold. Watford look like title contenders. 
But Spurs, really, I think in the terms of the football they've played, now they seem to get over that Wembley thing as well. They look like they might be the sort of second best this year. Yeah, I think if you look at points calendar year-wise, which is classic because obviously that doesn't win you a title, but they're, they've been top for the last two years. Uh, they play brilliant football. Pochettino doesn't just attack with possession. You've seen he's really comfortable setting up an absolutely lightning quick counter-attacking side and that's punished the likes of Dortmund in the Champions League and now Liverpool in the Premier League. Um, they came unstuck against Chelsea because they tried to play that possession style and Chelsea played the counter-attack on them. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens with Man United because you know Jose Mourinho is not going to try and try and attack them at all, really. Um, they're, they're, they're playing each other for the 13th time, uh, Pochettino and Mourinho, um, which is the joint most um, uh, uh, Pochettino has played anyone before. Not a great record because obviously some of it was in La Liga when he was Espanyol manager. But... Um, it's one of those ties where you think if Tottenham win this and win it comfortably, you can argue that Pochettino is the best because Pep Guardiola is obviously fantastic. The way he's got Man City playing this season is is phenomenal. But the the budget available at Spurs, the restrictions that Daniel Levy seems to impose on his managers in terms of like uh, sucking everything out of the talent that is there and with limited spend... Um, He's made them play incredible football, and as I said before, they're they're top, always top for chances created as well. Uh, got ha- brilliant players, got the best out of Harry Kane. Christian Eriksen seems to find endless fullbacks that can just slot into his formation. So, yeah, I think Spurs are, are favourites for that game, and and yeah, they'll be they'll be applying the pressure, as everyone likes to say, to Man City this season. Yeah, I mean, on that question of if he's the best manager in the Premier League, I mean, I don't think there's any real doubt for me. If you, you know, if you look at it purely in terms of, you know, if we say that wage bill is the biggest indicator of success in the Premier League, Tottenham have the sixth biggest wage bill by like quite some distance. They're quite way behind the top five in terms of finances. But like, there's not a question for a moment that Tottenham will not finish as low as sixth this season. They will qualify for the Champions League which is a remarkable achievement because this is now just a, a squad that Pochettino's built kind of on the cheap that's pr- now it has a depth that, you know, you always thought before, oh, you know, if, if so-and-so takes an injury, um, you know, if one of the fullbacks goes down or whatever, they might really struggle. But, you know, they've been doing this with injuries. They, they drew at the Bernabeu without their first choice midfield of Wanyama and Dembele. Um, and the other thing about what, for me, makes him the best manager in the Premier League is, is the culture at Tottenham. Um, and without wishing to go into sort of boring journalistic stuff, um, you know, when you, uh, at Wembley, um, you know, in the mix zone after the game where, you know, players walk past uh, and give themselves up for interview, um, it's always noticeable that Tottenham players are happy to talk. Um, and they are always willing to explain things. And that's kind of not always the case with every other Premier League team. And I think it says a lot to the accountability that Mauricio Pochettino has, has kind of embedded in this squad. Um, you know, a group of quite young men, but very mature heads on their shoulders. I think that's kind of typified by someone like Harry Winks, um, who just, for a kid his age, is just amazing, an amazing leadership potential. Um, I look at that Tottenham team and I see like 11 captains on the pitch at any time. Um, and I know we kind of, sometimes we overrate the importance of that arm man but when you've got 11 players that can all lead a team 
Um, I think that's why they achieve so consistently compared to teams like Arsenal and Chelsea. Harry Winks really does have the name of sort of a World War II hero as well, doesn't mm. he? Yeah. yeah. Most cap. Harry Winks. Yeah. He's got the most caps pre, pre-World pre War as the, the stats yeah. definition. <laughs> Post-World War stats. But uh, uh, let's, let's just do a quick prediction for Man United Spurs this weekend. What are you saying? It's, uh, it's Old Trafford, isn't it? Uh, yes. I'm pretty sure. Um I think Spurs might win 3-1. I think I might be giving them too many goals, but I just think they're way too good for Man United. You think yeah, the bus I is, think... is uh, going to get knocked down, James? Yeah, I think 2-0 Spurs. I don't know what... Ma- the thing is, I'm really excited because I know that Poch is going to have a plan for this. I don't know what the plan is, but he's, every every game of, na- of late, he's kind of doing something a bit weird. Yeah, that, and I'm that, really excited. That Urente Kane strike duo at the Bernabeu. Oh yeah. He he even said he said like everyone when they saw that were saying, "What are you doing, mate?" He genuinely like even people yeah. within Spurs were saying, "Is that are you sure that's the lineup you want to play?" And look at it like they played a fantastic game uh, at one of the hardest stadiums. Obviously, team of the year, back to back Champions League winners. They played really well. So yeah, it's going to be a really interesting game. Probably can't promise it's going to be exciting because of what happened with Liverpool Man United. But yeah, really intriguing to see what Pochettino does on that one. Five all. Musa Sissoko gets all 10. There you go. Uh, and then last up, it's number four. And we'll just go through this one quickly because it's the amount of take-ons completed by Sofian Buffal leading up to his goal for Southampton against West Brom. So four take-ons in a minute. It was Maradona-esque, as everyone was saying. Uh, where's that going to rank when it comes to the goal of the season? Because it was pretty impressive. Throwing it out here is better than Maradona's goal. And it's only better than Maradona's goal because of the brilliant slapstick of Alan Neon and the defender running in. Oh, like that's what makes it goal of the season. It's, oh, it's brilliant. I just want to watch it forever. I love it. And good celebration as well, Jake, with the old classic running over to the manager saying, you should have started me. It's not quite the Norwich striker that got his shirt and just showed it to his manager's, uh, uh, showed it to his manager. But yeah. There was shades of Maradona and that Ben Arthur goal when he just yeah. ran through the entire team and dinked it. Um, it's a shame you said we're going through this one quickly because I've actually got loads of numbers on his take-ons. Go through them quickly. But, Let's um, take on your four numbers. But So I was just saying that Buffal obviously hasn't set the Premier League alight since he's joined, but that goal epitomised that everything is why Southampton bought him. He's a very, very good dribbler with the ball. And... Um, that goal, as I said, I think I think will be one of the goals of the season. I just love people taking on players. Um, but he's one of only seven players that have, eight players, sorry, that have completed 200 plus take-ons in the past three years in Europe's top five leagues. And he's up there with the likes of Hazard, Sanchez, Lionel Messi, Usman Dembele, Neymar, uh, Zaha, Mares. He's a player that Southampton bought because they thought he was going to carry the ball forward for them they haven't got any pace up front but he just hasn't settled uh, he averages like six take-ons per 90 minutes which is was only bettered by Adama Traore last season who is famous for his dribbling ability but nothing else so if Southampton can sort of weave Buffal into their team and and get him to fit and, and contribute every game uh, they might have a player on their hands he's still only 24 after all and I definitely want him to play more just purely because of the potential of scoring goals like that so those West Brom players, they were embarrassed, which moves us so smoothly, like clockwork, into the next section. I'm embarrassed to ask. I'm embarrassed to ask. So I don't know if you've heard of this fella, Kylian Mbappe. Apparently, he's got a future in the game. And uh, this week, he won the 
Golden Boy Award, which is sponsored by Tuto Sport, I think. But I'm not really overly sure about the award in general. All I know is that Raheem Sterling has won it in the last five years. So how, how much credit you can give it? I don't know, because Pep Guardiola wasn't managing them then. Uh, three French guys have won it. Paul Pogba, Kylian Mbappe, Anthony Martial, as well as Renato Sanchez. I would say maybe not the best of the five. How important an award is it? Or is it just something that sticks a massive value on these players before they inevitably get sold to someone bigger? I think it's a, a really interesting award. It hasn't been around that long. Uh, they first established it in 2003 and uh, Raphael van der Vaart was the inaugural winner of the award. What a um, career. But he was a very good player when he came to Spurs Premier League. He's got some. He posted some ridiculous numbers there. But um, they sort of established it with the idea of it being the the Ballon d'Or for for the Wonder Kids, which is quite a nice idea. And although it probably heaps loads of pressure on these players, I think it gives them something to drive towards. Um, other winners include Alexandra Pato and Mario Balotelli, who were both quoted after winning it, saying, "I hope this is the platform to, uh, for me to win the Ballon d'Or." So that is obviously. It's, it can be a false dawn because they obviously didn't reach their potential, but the other list of players on it, are, is, they've got it right most years. Um, and now it's it started off with just Tuto Sport deciding it, and now it's, it's uh, it reaches out to 40 uh, newspapers and uh, across across Europe with the Times representing um, England. Um, but if you look at it, it's again, it's not the most prestigious thing. It's not. No one looks at it and thinks that decides how good a player you are. But as I said, if you look through the list of the winners, there's players on there that have turned out to be very good or at least bought for a lot of money. And uh, I think it is sort of indicative of uh, how good they are. Um, and also it's it's fair that they are rewarded early on and, and there's signs given the platform to achieve something in the game. How old can you be? What's, what's the cutoff age? You have to be under 21, which... Everyone was crying about this year because Marco Asensio missed out because he turned 21 before it was all shortlisted. Mm-hmm. He was apparently everyone's favourite to win, but I think Mbappe was would have won it anyway, to be honest. Yeah, Mbappe, pretty, I can't think of a young player that's made more of an impact than him this year. Well, Ed, Eddie and Ketcher's going to have a... <laughs> have, a, have a little stay, say in this conversation next year, maybe after his start against Norwich. Yeah, I, th- I think if you kind of look at the list of winners as a a hell of a lot more hits than misses there. And even the sort of misses, like Pato wasn't that bad. Well, he's I mean, good, Pato, he was good for Milan. And, yeah, and for he was years, very good at that time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and um, I mean, and Balotelli has maybe, this de- was definitely not fulfilled his promise, but he's also got Premier League winner's medal. and mm. um, Pe- Peaks and troughs from Balotelli. Yeah. Balotelli isn't it? It's a phenomenal player. Um, I think Renato Sanchez... Might it'd be interesting to see if we get more players like him that really do get weighed down by it? Because yeah. I think back in the Balotelli Pato age, I, I, it wasn't something that was widely kind of known, mm. but now it could end up becoming a millstone, couldn't it? I, I can definitely see that. I mean, it won't for Mbappe because there are few players like him in, in world football, few players with that kind of attitude at that age, yeah. But, um, I mean, there's definitely kind of in other sports, there's precedence for sort of rookies of the year really struggling to build on this. Um, and if you think of it as that sort of award, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really intrigued as it becomes more like a, a young player's Ballon d'Or. Do, do players struggle to fulfil um, the potential that it promises? When you look at these last five, obviously you can take Mbappe out of it because we don't know yet. But Pogba obviously went on 
to be brilliant wasn't weighed down by it at all. Sterling, for a while, looked like he was, but I think he's since Pep Guardiola's got his hands on him. Yeah, well, he was. He won it when he was brilliant. He was brilliant at Liverpool. At Liverpool There's no he, denying that. Season, that yeah. yeah, so he's obviously got a talent. Then Martial has been up and down, very talented, but yeah. not starting. I was going to say, I don't think you can say he's not good. But I think he, it's just a case of no. I agree, but he's another one that um, you know. Maybe the I mean, the, in the twelve months after winning the Golden Boy, they were probably his toughest twelve months. That though just coincides with the fact that Jose Mourinho became his manager, and you know Mourinho hates young players and wingers, so he was mm. pretty much doomed. And then Renato Sanchez, I think jury's still out, but so far say, it looks yeah. like he's so far he's not done well since. But yeah. moving to Bayern Munich, he's got to get Thiago, Javi Alonso, Kadira all of them out of the team so all those centre midfielders they have so yeah. yeah see how he does at Swansea but not yeah not he's looking. not started well there but again I think it's it's almost he was very good in the Euros that's why he won it he he sort of won it the way Ronaldo won the the um, uh, FIFA Men's Best Player Man award yeah. uh, he won a he had a big impact in a massive tournament in a history making tournament for his nation and won it because of that but yeah he's definitely got the like the raw materials to be a very good player. He was brilliant at Benfica as well. Because yeah. you kind of forget it because yeah. he was sort of brought into this, yeah. the mainstream by the the Euro twenty sixteen, and then his move to Bayern Munich. But he was good in the Euros. Uh, yeah. Sorry, good news. Uh, good for ben C- Benfica as well. But anyway, before he slips into a anonymity at Swansea, which hopefully he doesn't. Let's hope people don't ask about Renato Sanchez in the future. Who's this fella? Who's this fella? So Chiro Immobile, Immobile, I mean, I, it looks like a mobile to me, but I imagine, and I have been in Italy this weekend, so I'm going to say it in my best Italian, Chiro Immobile. I reckon that's bang on. Yeah. Uh, spot on. Perfect. Uh, Lazio striker, joint highest goal scorer in Europe's top five leagues, level with Radamel Falcao, the Premier League legend. Uh, scored seven in his last four games. And Lazio, doing pretty well in Serie A, up to fourth, level on points with Juventus, who aren't having their best season, but that's not to take away from Lazio. Are they are they uh, sort of re- relying on Immobile, or is he benefiting from the quality of the team this year? Yeah, I think he's sort of the the spearhead of what is becoming a very, uh, su- not su- or surprising in the sense that they're doing so much better than people expected, but they've got a brilliant group of players. And, and Immobile sort of, come out from nowhere again he had he had like the full storms at Juventus was sent on loan three times uh, got a move um, to Genoa didn't do well there went to Torino got 23 goals top scorer in Syria Dortmund bought him for 20 million and then nothing happened again but since he's moved back to Lazio he's been um, absolutely brilliant and he's he's sort of as you said he's there Lazio aren't relying on him as such but he's the perfect focal point uh, for Simone Inzaghi's side uh, to build on and they've got some other brilliant young players and and other and other flops that have have, have uh, sort of reached their ability including Luis Alberto that was at Liverpool briefly he was Italy's top scorer in, in European qualifying with just six goals but again he, he formed a really good partnership with Andrea Bellotti who's another Italian striker people are starting to take notice of um, when, when Bellotti's he's obviously injured at the moment but he's only six goals away from his best ever top flight season across all competitions um, and we're only he's only played 13 games yeah. so he's this season is sort of building again on last year 
of being a brilliant player, scoring 27 goals uh, in 2017 in the league, uh, which is only bettered by Lionel Messi with 36 and Harry Kane by 29. So this is an informed striker that's come back from come back from the dead, if you if you want. What's his sort of style? How how does he play? What does he need to? Why is he why is he um, prospering so much? At he's, he's, he's a penalty box player. Um, although I mean he, he can finish quite well from outside the box, but he's a player that a lot of it's really dependent on the the service line that he gets. And at Lazio, he's so I mean lucky is not the right word, but he's well placed because I mean not only does he have players like Felipe Anderson, but um, he's got Sergei Milinkovic Savic, who I think is. He's going to be. He's one to keep your your eye out on. He will be at a Premier League team soon because someone will pay crazy money for him. Fantastic play playmaker, but you know, such an odd footballer. He's like six foot plus. He's a very tall player, but kind of with the ball skills of like a Barcelona era midget midfielder, um, and a, a phenomenal playmaker. And I think you know, Immobile's kind of getting the goals and uh, doing really well, but that whole Lazio team is is benefiting from Milinkovic Savic's kind of move into the upper echelons of European playmakers uh, and I think that you know that his you know his form kind of contrasts with maybe some of the Juventus players and um, the AC Milan players that if we look at the, the big Italian giants that are struggling both of them their kind of main playmakers Pjanic and uh, Chalanolu maybe at, at Milan haven't really clicked yet this season Um so yeah, as great as Immobile's been for me, this Lazio team is all about Milinkovic Savic, who is fantastic, and you'll be seeing him at uh, some Premier League team quite soon. He's a he's at the same time the target man and the playmaker of the side. They Lazio play really fast football, uh, usually like clipping up to him chest height, head height, and he brings it down wherever he wants, wins all of his headers. But then, as you said, he's the one feeding Immobile, and Immobile's uh, thriving off it. Fellaini um, meets Xavi. Yeah, there you go. He's what he's <laughs> what people he's what people want Fellaini to be. Mm. Um, someone that's very good in the air and a presence and a strength, but then when he gets it down on the floor, it's just as dangerous. Mm. So Mobile isn't the one that's going to be getting his next big move. It's Milinkovic Savic we need to be looking at. Yeah, I think Immobile after that Dortmund thing, he didn't. Do, he, he had a horrible time at Sevilla as well. Like he's, I was going to say, he's going to be like a Luca Toni style. If it, that, that's his his career trajectory now, he's got a Diadora sponsorship in coming. Oh in there. man, he's going to be so Serie A. He's probably going to have to shave his head so that he matches Pierluigi Colina. That's how <laughs> Serie A he is. All right then. Stat showdown. Just three guys sat in a room. Two of them about to take each other down with a stat bomb. Jake sat in his favourite corner. James sat in a corner. James, you didn't get your favourite corner, so you can go first. It's the first of three. Impress me. I'm a I'm a simple man. I need fun, compact, interesting stats. So um, you and your friends will no doubt start your weekend Saturday. 12.30, Spurs, Man United, or oh, Man United, Spurs indeed. Uh, and, you know, everyone like myself and Jake will be telling you, Spurs have got this, man. Spurs have got this, nailed on. To which you will say to them, right, lads, listen, Tottenham have lost 20 out of 25 away matches at Old Trafford, more times than they've lost at any ground in the Premier League era. Of course, the famous phrase, it's only Spurs, lads. Exactly. It is only Spurs. Jake. We come back with. I will battle a Man United Spurs stat with a Man United Spurs stat. Good lord. 
And it's a more positive take for Spurs fans. Mauricio Pochettino could become the first manager ever to beat Jose Mourinho in back-to-back league games in charge of the same club. Tony Pulis did it for West Brom and Crystal Palace in the Premier League. And Claudio Ranieri did it five years apart, Roma and Leicester. Wait, so the first... So Jose Mourinho has never lost back-to-back league games to the same club with the same manager in charge. My word. I mean, I'd, I've got to be honest. I, I know which way this first round's going. Cause yeah. That's an amazing that's stat. That's a brilliant stat. Congratulations, Jake. Thank you. James gets the no. Jake, one nil. <laughs> and now you can double that lead. Double up. With the next stat. All right. Again, I've done the thing of preparing too many. But... Oh, show off. No, because it's hard to... I, in case something... What if we choose the same one? That's why I always do it. <sighs> Right, I'll do a fun... I, I never really go to your, your side that likes the, the quirky ones. Oh, I love a quirky So I've step. gone for one that, for me, is quirky. So oh, this God. will make me paint, paint me in a bad light <laughs> now, probably. So Man City, obviously, playing really good football. Um, and Edison has, in fact, completed more passes in the Premier League this season than Romelu Lukaku. 137 for Edison, 130 for Lukaku. And to make it so I'm not just bashing Lukaku, that's also more than uh, his own striker, Gabriel Jesus. Yeah, I'm not surprised though. That's that not is quirky a, enough. That is it. I knew it would bite me in the James. He, That's a Man City open. goalkeeper for you. There's no surprises here. Um, Bournemouth, Chelsea at the weekend, which means Jermaine Defoe against the Blues. Jermaine Defoe is the only player to score against Chelsea for four different clubs in the Premier League. Those are Spurs, Sunderland. Portsmouth and your beloved West Ham not that I'm playing to the host here uh, and he could make it five this weekend if Bournemouth somehow managed to score against Chelsea he has had a lot of clubs and bring the, I'm not surprised by either of these stats to say week round guys oh. take a long hard look at yourselves Pick the wrong one. Oh, Jermaine Defoe wins I'm just I'm just not surprised at all by Man City's goalkeeper having more passes than Romelu Lukaku it's more than Hundred, uh, it's more than 221 players in the Premier League, Edison, out of 405. They have a lot of the ball. I know. I just thought Go it was... Yola, man. That's, I why, thought it was, that's why he got rid of uh, Joe Hart, because he couldn't pass more than he four couldn't times do, a game. There you go. They found their man. That was my... That was what I was going for. I'm, I'm ashamed of you, Jake. <laughs> you should know better. You've been here enough times to know, know. better. James, it's your time to Back pounce. in the game. It's time to pounce. Arsene Wenger is managing his 800th Premier League game on Saturday, which I think is quite impressive in and of itself. That's not bad. He's only 22 short of um, breaking Alex Ferguson's record. What I think make this, makes this more impressive is he has been in charge of more top flight games than Swansea have played in their history. By an absolutely massive margin, Arsene Wenger has managed 800 top flight games. Swansea have played in 321 in their entire history. Okay. Okay. In their entire... I mean, historically, are they as good as Cardiff? Probably not. <laughs> I think there's an opening there, Jake. I know. And now this if is you, where... If you disappoint yourself... I, you know what I'm you like really as well. You really have disappointed yourself. Yeah. I'm looking at my page and I'm just disappointed. I am just disappointed already now. You're building me up for a fall. <laughs> I know. But uh, let's go with... So if Harry Kane scores, he'll be the sixth player in Premier League history to score 30 goals in a single calendar year the third English player to do it these are 
He's a weak. Is Kevin oh, Phillips no. one of the others? Not in a calendar year, no. I've got the list, if you would like the list. I would like the whole list, please. Okay, so Alan Shearer leads the way with 36. He also he did a, He also did a 30 himself. Uh, Robin Van Persie got 35. Thierry Henry got 34. Ruud van Nistelrooy, 30. And Les Ferdinand, 30. Sir Les. So esteemed company, Harry Kane. Les Ferdinand. More surprising than Harry Kane, really. <laughs> and on that basis, I think it's going to James. Come on! The winner this week. And James, the reward, the enormous bounty you receive is that you get to say first where people can find you on the internet. Uh, I'm available on the Twitter. Uh, I am at James Benj. Loads of people are giving me abuse at the moment, so please come and say something nice. Or... Or don't just carry or don't. it on. Continue just the abuse. Carry it on. Continue the abuse because I'm getting immune. Jake, if uh, they want to abuse you, which you they, deserve. I was going to say they will be doing that after that poor performance. But um, it's at Jake Entwistle on Twitter for me. And as usual, don't put a H in the whistle part. For God's sake, do not put an H in Entwistle or Rob Armstrong underscore WH, which is my Twitter handle. There's, there, oh wait, there is an H. In I was going to say it's they're, right. They're at the end. It. Tell you what, high quality content from me I can't work out letters in words uh, well I think that, that that's everything for this week's Defending Numbers just remember go to Deezer go to iTunes go to wherever you do your podcast subscribe rate review share it to all your friends take it to someone you don't even know and say hey man or woman do you like stats delivered in a sort of way that an idiot can understand and they might say no, in which case, just leave them be. But if they don't, tell them to listen to Defending in Numbers, because we'll be back next week. Defending in Numbers is a Deezer Originals production. You can find and download more episodes on Deezer and all major podcast providers. Listener.